Welcome to The Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Central Verse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard, and today is episode number 45. Stephen Kelly uh, has had a couple of blockbuster uh, substacks out in the last couple of weeks here, uh, starting the, the new year on the right foot. So I wanted to bring him on uh, to, talk about, uh, to talk about two of them. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Caleb. So let's start with the debt ceiling. Yesterday, I believe it was, uh, as as had been predicted, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, came out and announced that they were starting the uh, extraordinary measures. Is that what they call them? Extraordinary mm-hmm. measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, to uh, to extend as as long as they possibly can uh, the the X date, the date at which uh, the U.S. Uh, government would have to make some real tough decisions about who they're going to pay. Um, I wanted. I don't. We don't need to go into too much background into the debt ceiling, like history or 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 the or where we're at uh, right now. In and of itself, I'm going to assume that most listeners are are pretty up to date on on what's going on there or the politics behind it. But I do want to talk about the Fed, uh, and that's where I kind of wanted to start because the Fed, as the fiscal agent of the Treasury. Uh, and just in in the past, like the the Fed has a big role in doing in handling the the debt for uh, for the Treasury. Uh, but it's not just a the Fed just prints whatever the Treasury wants. And so there's this really interesting relationship. There's all sorts of history there. Um, there's all sorts of conflicts happening uh, on on Twitter about all sorts of different things that could happen or couldn't happen. But I want to start with if you could list just a couple of the things that the Fed that have been suggested that the Fed uh, could do either beforehand or in the moment of. And let's talk about the traditional ones. And then at the end, we'll talk about the one that uh, that the novel one that you suggest. Yeah. So and just to the the novel one that I suggest is really a, a Treasury maneuver as much as it is the Fed. Right. The, the complicated part for the Fed, I think, is and, and this is a question for Treasury, too, of the the question of prioritization of treasury payments over everything else and treasury has said time and again look this is a terrible look to basically you know not be paying social benefits but paying off the 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 US oh. treasury market and and it, there's a clear financial argument for why you might do that and why something like that is more sacrosanct but also it just doesn't that's not a story you can tell if you had 10 years, um, it's not a story you can sell to the general public. I mean, people still think we lost money bailing out Goldman Sachs. Like, right. you know, it, it, right. it just, it just isn't a story they can tell. And, and there is a real cost to it too. So treasury has to decide, you know, does it prioritize treasury payments in the event it has to make decisions? Um, and the, the fed sort of gets wrapped up in this too, because let's say that treasury doesn't, uh, isn't incumbent upon the Fed as someone invested in a stable treasury market, as someone invested in financial stability in general, to basically open up its doors and say, look, everything that would have defaulted, bring it to us, we'll give you cash for it, and we'll bear the default risk. Uh, and whether that happens via you know, unlimited repo, or they use Section 1313 to take treasuries from anybody, or Section 13.3, um, it's familiar, you know, emergency authority, or they just go buy a whole bunch of QCIPs. Like they just pick whatever QCIPs mature and they say, well, you know, we'll buy them all. 
the Fed kind of has to decide to do that. And it's a tricky thing because, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this too, Caleb, about yeah. what they, what they might or should do uh, or, you know, the way they think about this, but they really don't, they really, you know, don't like to get mixed up in the politics of something. And it's weird to think about a scenario where, you know, treasury misses the deadline by a day, let's say. Uh, and the fed, you know, trying to keep a lid on this whole financial calamity basically buys up a whole bunch of treasuries for one day. And then the treasury passes a new thing. Then you're going to start getting a lot of questions back to the fed of look, you know, this deadline passed for one second and you guys freaked out and, and basically intervened in this political moment. But I, I'm more, uh, you know, I, I kind of don't like this sort of war gaming or political war gaming of the fed of like, it has to ignore its mandate today to preserve its mandate tomorrow. I kind of don't like when the, I mean, fed officials themselves will do this you know, when they talk about independence, they're weirdly, yep. they're weirdly frank about how they're like, well, we want to be careful with what we do because Congress might take our powers away, which that's not like an authority they have where it's like, you know, the fed shall mind its own power, like consider its powers into the future. Like to me, it's like, do your job today. If Congress chooses to mess it up tomorrow, at least that's Congress's fault. So I, I, I'm more, uh, you know, I'm more empathetic to the argument that the Fed should be intervening in in the event of this. But I could also see them saying, you know, we'll only intervene in the event a political solution is clearly on the table and it's going to be a week late. Um, you know, that's kind of how they talk about fiscal policy. Like only when it's really likely do they really start to talk about you know, do they even work it into their forecasts? You know, once a bill is really likely, they'll 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 comment on it or something like that. Um, and if there's no deal in sight, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, kind of mapping. I'm envisioning as you were talking the the game theory trees of of the Fed trying to trying to decide at which point they'd intervene. Because because you're absolutely right that there is a there is a sense that you uh, that the Fed naturally doesn't want to be seen as as giving more uh, like f fuel to this just government incompetence. Right. Which is what this debt ceiling is all about. And so there's a sense there is a sense that that the Fed doesn't want to encourage that that type of activity. It seems like um, this is not a new issue. This is this is not a new issue. And so it seems like there could have been an advantage to pre-announcing the kind of activities that they that they would do. And, you know, maybe if if the last one was it 2011, does that sound right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in 2014, you know, or 2000 or, or, or 2020 or, you know, the, at a time when this is not a, a near possibility uh you know putting something out there saying like this is this is what we're willing to do this would also be in the spirit i think a little bit in the spirit of i wonder if if it would be appropriate for the fed to take a a little bit of a cbdc approach their current cbdc approach which is we're not going to do we're going to study it we're going to talk about it we're going to write pros and cons we are an expert not only for what we have, but we're also pretty good at like 
collecting information from from varied sources and getting feedback and stuff and then publishing uh, our thoughts on it. But ultimately, we'll we'll leave it to Congress is where they left uh, CBDCs right now, quite clearly. They're doing something kind of similar, although not the same thing with climate change. Um, but I, I feel like there's there's an opportunity for that in this situation. Uh, and if the Fed decides, you know, I, I've heard the I've heard the argument that like they would do it if they saw something was close. I just, yeah, I, I think that is 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 good in theory and impossible in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, their NPR had uh, Jason Furman and a former advisor to Mitch McConnell, uh, who were kind of uh, co-leading from opposite sides the the 2011 experience, the standoff at, at that time, and both of them basically came down. You know it. It was a very, very last minute thing, like down to hours and minutes, mm-hmm. um, which is something that you mentioned in the piece as well. And so to say, and then, you know, who are you listening to when mm-hmm. deciding how close are we, how not close are we? And then does the fact that the Fed announce it then change that? Like that, that seems un- untenable, uh, mm-hmm. untenable to me. Um, but I'll end by saying that I agree with you that I think that the Fed, uh, when it comes, when push comes to shove, since they haven't pre-announced since they haven't prepared uh or at least publicly they haven't announced what they would do or in what situations they would do what um yeah the the fed should should react and and my stance has always been and i think this view holds for similar feelings about lehman brothers or about moments where they're where the fed is kind of up against the the boundaries of what they can or can't do that they're 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 good arguments to be made that it is uh legal and possible uh they should do it and then afterwards, yeah, if Congress decides, you know what, this is not something we want the Fed to do, then the, then Congress can get involved. But I think you're absolutely right that the Fed should uh, should 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 err on the side of of maintaining the you know the mandates, uh, even at the risk, like you articulate, even at the risk of their wings being clipped uh, mm. in the future. Uh, yeah, and it's probably important to know too that unlike some of the other proposed solutions, that's it, it doesn't require a novel interpretation of the law. It doesn't require, you know, some sort of gimmick. This is really the, what the Fed has set out to do. I mean, it's the same thing as if Congress wrote a huge fiscal package and the Fed raised interest rates a bunch to offset it. I mean, in theory, that's them intention with Congress, but also sure. it's them doing what Congress has assigned them to do. And, and you're also right. I mean, it's, it's good you invoke Lehman Brothers because it's sort of funny to hear like Bernanke and others talk about Lehman Brothers because they'll say, Okay, yeah, Lehman Brothers was really bad, but we would have never gotten TARP. Congress never would have passed TARP if it wasn't for Lehman Brothers. Yeah. And that's sort of the same tension here. It's like if the Fed, you know, opens its discount window effectively, infinitely to the Treasury market, then maybe the debt ceiling debates will go on forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that I, that's certainly an outcome the Fed wants to avoid, because yeah. like you said, it's any delay, any default is is sounds nice in theory to some radicals in Congress, but even they would fold, yeah. um, you know, within days when the whole world is on fire, you know, yep. because financial markets are melting down. Yeah. Um, it's just who's willing to play with fire that much, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So talk about, uh, so give us just really quick where we're at. So, so right now we're in extraordinary uh, measure time. Mm-hmm. Treasury's doing this stuff. Yeah. You mentioned a great thing in your pieces. You mentioned that, that tre- you expect treasury or at least the last time treasury to kind of announce in more details what some of those 
extraordinary measures are more than just the letter that we got from uh from Yellen um uh but but you have a suggestion for where a few more extra dollars could come from yeah so so Yellen Yellen wrote this letter um must have been a week or two ago basically saying that extraordinary measures would start January 19th and this is sort of the old playbook of basically they stop uh, issuing debt or reinvesting in these various government funds that also invest in treasuries. Um, so there's these, you know, postal service benefit funds that, that hold technically treasury securities. Um, and they can just stop doing that. Uh, you know, and then they top off, they top off the funds as soon as, as soon as the debt ceiling gets raised. Um, and yeah, so the, the last time in, in previous instances where the debt ceiling was coming up, the most recent being 2021, uh, th there's been little bulletins out from the Treasury. Hey, by the way, here's the list of extraordinary measures. These are these have always been used and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, there, there's these couple government benefit funds um, in the past. They've also uh, the dollar balance of the exchange stabilization fund is, is invested in non-marketable treasuries. Yep. Um, and they just and those treasuries mature every day, so they'll just stop investing um, in, in those in those treasury securities with the dollar balance. Um, and, and as I noted, it, it looks like it's about seventeen billion right now. It was twenty three billion in twenty twenty one. So there's sort of this list. There's sort of this old playbook list, um, which I would expect them to resort to. And then what I what I kind of note in the piece is there's sort of this new one that's out there because the some of the CARES Act facilities, some of the emergency facilities from the Fed and Treasury in 2020 are, are still in operation. And when Treasury and Fed shut them down uh, after being ordered to by Congress, I mean, Treasury wanted to anyways, that was a whole, that was that whole 2020 drama. Yep. Um, but Congress ordered the money back and when they took the treasury equity back, which was meant to be levered up in some cases, 14 times by the fed, depending on what facility it was in, um, they left the facilities fully unlevered. So yeah. the fed had outstanding balances in its municipal, municipal facility, its main street lending program, uh, the term asset backed securities, it's, it's secure, uh, stru structured finance facility. And, basically these, these facilities were meant to be levered like 10 to one ish. And when treasury and fed basically sent the money back per the orders of Congress, they left them 0% levered. Um, and so this is basically treasury being over-invested in these facilities sort of unnecessarily as they wind down. And this would have been a bigger deal in the 2021 instance, honestly. Um, but it wasn't mentioned back then either. And so I kind of walked through the effects of basically relevering these facilities back to their intended leverage ratios uh, can free up about $14 billion for the treasury, which again, you know, we, this is all very gray as far as how much time, you know, Yellen said she expects extraordinary measures to work approximately through June or at least through right. June. Um, economists are saying August, yeah, you know, $14 billion is like, you know, an hour of the defense budget or something. <laughs> right. um, so, but, you know, like you said, these things come down to minutes and hours and they do. Um, and and, and you this could come up in the future again too. Right. And you mentioned, is it was, is there, has there been any reporting? Cause I was surprised to read this, uh, 
the amount Treasury had left in 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 your piece, given the drama around the withdrawal of those funds. I mean, it was one of those kind of few moments uh, in 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 late fall uh 2020 where it was like Toomey was fighting with Powell about mm. this stuff and then Mnuchin kind of came down on Toomey's side as mm. and then and then Powell but like Powell publicly in in announcing it not only did he say okay we'll do it but he'll say we re like publicly we really don't want to do this mm-hmm. uh but we will mm-hmm. is there so so there's that piece of information that I thought w- was was relevant that you that you brought up uh, that was interesting. Um, but also in the in the last time that these facilities, the, the Treasury funds were withdrawn from these facilities uh, in the GFC, um, you mentioned, you know, and you list the numbers mm-hmm. and stuff that those were the funds that were withdrawn were withdrawn back to the back to the leverage ratios, the intended leverage ratios. So it, it surprised me to be as I was reading that the treasury, even if normally they didn't, the default wasn't to bring it back, but these weren't even like a normal return of funds. These were like mm-hmm. the treasury pulling back. So I don't know if it was like a compromise. It seems unnecessary, but that yeah, it, we'll, it, we, we're taking it all, but we'll, we'll leave it a hundred percent to the, to the balance or I'm not sure. Right. So sense of it, that there, there's nothing public about that. Basically. Okay. So the, the, it's the Consolidated Appropriations Act that was passed in December 2020 that took the money back. And um, it basically said that they were rescinding here. I got it here. Rescinding all funds that were, quote, not needed to meet the commitments of the uh, of the programs and facilities. So. The, okay. It seemed like a conscious choice on the uh, of Fed and Treasury. I mean, okay. it, it didn't surprise me, given the battle, because right. the, the bigger the bigger piece was. So it was kind of a, so originally when this happened in 2020, first, it was just Mnuchin who said, you know, I, I want to take this money back. Um, okay. And then there was a question of, there was all this thinking around, okay, how can we reopen these facilities under a new treasury secretary? Um, right. So the, the biggest thing I think from the two, from the Consolidated Appropriations Act was that that law also said, we're taking the money back and these facilities cannot be reopened. Um so I, I, that kind of took the question of how much money do you leave behind off the table a little bit, um, given that it was locked up in facilities that were effectively dead. Um, but it, it, it is a little bizarre in that the way they were talking, the way Mnuchin was trying to sell it was like, oh, we can reallocate these funds to some other good thing, um, which was nonsense given the way government accounting works. But, right. um, you know, they, they would have had to be scored by the CBO and all that stuff. Sure. But uh nevertheless they they did just kind of leave the facilities overfunded and yes it, it, i like you like you noted in in 2008 there was one facility that had a treasury injection um of of tarp money and it had 20 billion dollars of protection and that was the the 2008 talf um and it was going to buy 200 billion dollars of assets and when it closed it had 43 billion dollars so within 3 weeks the fed sends all but 4.3 billion back to the treasury um, so it's 43 to 4.3 and the facilities back to 10 to one. Uh, so it, this is like, a, you know, we, 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 we worry about Congress sort of raiding the fed, you know, using the fed to fund social goals or fiscal goals. And, you know, there was a little bit of drama in 2015 when they took a bunch of equity right. out of the fed to fund the infrastructure bill. Right. Yeah. The transportation um, stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but this really, like, I, I don't see the Fed objecting to this at all. Right. Um, there's not going to be any, you know, any more losses in these facilities. They, they've all been well accounted for. They're all winding down. Uh, and frankly, that's the Fed's always open to the possibility of losses. We don't need to protect Correct. the Fed infinitely from losses. The idea is that they just Defeat can't the expect losses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it seems like everyone has an interest in relevering these facilities uh, and it would free up some money under this ceiling. So it, it's just another tool that's out there that that they haven't talked about yet. Right. So this is one of those things that could be easily added to added to the list uh, and, and more treasuries, treasuries doing than the Fed. Because like you said, it doesn't seem like the Fed would push back if, uh, if, if asked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, this is something we will obviously be keeping a close eye on, not only as, uh, as like the politics move along and stuff, but as treasury, if treasury releases new information about what their plan is uh, and as, uh, and, and if the fed engages at all, uh, you know, I suspect maybe not at this meeting since since there are other things that that the fed is dealing with other stuff obviously uh with the with the decision of how you know when and where to to land the uh the, the target rate uh but uh, but this is something that certainly i expect could come up uh in in press conferences and stuff so we'll be keeping a close tabs on it all right uh let's move on then to uh to shadow banks you had a really great uh a great piece this the second piece that i wanted to talk to you about that is about the banking system more than it is about the fed but it's really as anything about the banking system is about the fed ultimately and particularly when you're talking about the risk right and 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 anybody that spent any time in financial crisis uh study or or mode or or thinking about financial crises shadow banks are are always the uh you know at at fault um uh, uh uh sometimes more rightly than than others but that's that's where it happens and so there a huge conversation in discussing uh financial regulation but then also you know the in in financial regulation lender of last resort is always in the background as well there's this idea of you know how much uh risk do we want on the banks uh on the banks books how much do we want the banks to be managing on others on 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 others books uh and then and then who has access to the fed when and where mm-hmm. and so this 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 piece you know really kind of tackled that so i don't have i guess a specific uh question to start it off but just wondering if you can lay out uh kind of the view uh that, that you wanted to to express here in this piece yeah and i'll say part of the impetus was really a, a fed story because uh, you know, as the Fed has tightened, basically, you know, with abandon, uh, its monetary policy, and the whole world has followed suit. Uh, this is where we've seen market breakage. We've really seen uh, a resilient banking system. Yep. Uh, you know, which I, I think the way I've framed it is is the the Fed cannot be happier with the way. It's tightening has played out. We've basically seen a controlled burn from the outside of the system. I mean, crypto is eviscerated. Yep. Um, you're starting to get thinly capitalized. You know, mortgage lenders, things like that, are going broke. You know, Carvana's in restructuring. Right. Um, firms like that are, are are starting to break and give give the Fed tighter financial conditions. And we're basically seeing no no instability in the banking system itself. I mean, even Credit Suisse like has 
14% capital. I mean, it's, it's failing for all the dumb reasons, right? right. I, I, I mean, that's a broader point about capital never being enough, but sure. Um, and, and maybe we'll get to that, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it sort of tells the story of the world right now that we've, we've got a very stable banking system and the rate hikes are bringing out all this instability in other shadow markets uh, you know, we, we saw even like the guilt market blow up in the UK. We've seen commodity markets blow up. South Korea is having a Legoland crisis. Like uh, all, all this stuff is going on across the world in, in basically non, non-bank financial markets. Yep. Um, and so the question increasingly raised is, okay, well, we didn't spot the last crisis, so we're not going to spot this one because it's, in, it's all this bank regulation pushed all this stuff into the shadows. Um, and it's going to be the same thing. We're going to have, we're going to have a 2008 all over again. It's just going to be someplace else. And that's part of what I wanted to push back on. Um, because there, there, there is a benefit in having banks themselves be resilient and and the financial stability board publishes these reports that end up leading to a lot of fear mongering. Uh, their most recent, you know, they, they said uh, non-bank financial institution sector increased its relative share of total global financial assets to 49%, uh, which it said was $240 trillion, uh, which just seems like an insane amount, right? Yeah, And sure. it, it, it sort of leads to this bad equilibrium or this bad this sort of tension with bank regulation that puts us in, in, and often makes us consider two bad outcomes. One is, Okay, let's keep regulating more and more and more. You know, like there after the commodity markets blew up, there was talk about let's get bank like regulation to commodity markets. Like let's get, you know, let's get the Fed inside every insurance company. Let's get everything that's, you know, remotely uh anything that falls under this NBFI, the shadow banking stuff, let's get bank regulators in there to watch it. Which you know, is compelling and and it it seems fine in its own right to the extent it's possible. Um, but it, you know, it would just push them somewhere else. You know, there, there's always that, what, what gets referred to as the whack-a-mole risk that the risk just goes someplace else. And then you have bank regulators that are looking at, you know, Google before you know it, um, <laughs> right. Starbucks, right? Like yeah. Starbucks yeah. is right. practically running a bank out of their app. Um, yeah. and the other option is, okay, well, we were too hard on the banks. Let's let them bring this risk home. Let's let them bring all this stuff back. And we'll just regulate their processes. So we'll say, you know, do you have good risk management in place? Or do you have strong models? Do you have, are you looking at this stuff? Um, and that's sort of the pre-GFC uh, status quo. Um, there wasn't a lot of substantive questions from supervisors. It was more about process. Do you have X, Y, Z in place? Um, and I linked to a, a great report from the New York Fed that, that was written in the aftermath of the crisis, basically laying this all out. Um, so, you know, that doesn't work great either. Um, so that's kind of the, the tension. And the, the point I wanted to make is that there are benefits to having banks be the ones who are resilient because banks can create liquidity on their balance sheet without going to market. They can create a loan that creates a deposit. Um, banks, unlike shadow banks, don't have to issue a repo into a broken repo market. Right. Uh, and so there, there are, there are benefits to them 
being the resilient ones. And, and this is sort of the COVID story, right? I mean, the first thing before the Fed did much of any lending to the real economy in 2020, we saw like $400 billion of, of loans coming out of banks because they had all these committed credit lines that they wrote in advance. Right. Um, and that's the kind of thing where you want your bank to be there and you don't want customers drawing those credit lines because they think their bank's not going to be there. Right. Uh, so there are benefits to, to them being resilient in that sense. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, that's the part I think that, that I really wanted to, wanted to focus in on is that the side that, you know, financial crises are, are experiences of, of contagion and banks. And that's why, you know, and banks are such super spreaders. So interconnected Mm -hmm. to the economy that, you know, they're, they're tapped into, uh, to the shadow bank, to the parts of the economy that are, uh, that are doing finance, like, you know, activities and maturity transformation, like you said, even things like the Starbucks, it's, it feels like deposits when you're putting it on and, you know, the, yeah. and, and into, into the app and stuff. But, uh, it's, and then banks are also tapped into quote unquote, the real economy, uh, in, in, in all sorts of ways. And so, so banks become these super spreaders. And if they're, the economy can withstand failure, uh, even very big failures, even market failures in 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 a lot of markets that that the that the economy can handle, mm-hmm. as long as the banks are resilient. Like you like mm-hmm. then this is kind of the point that you're making. And so the although the the proportion of the total financial economy that's happening in the banking system versus that's happening or the regulated banking system versus those that are happening outside of the regulated financial uh, system is. It's not a it's not a nothing burger. It it it, it does matter, mm-hmm. but you can envision a you can envision a two thousand and eight where uh where it ha- where banks were more highly capitalized and uh you know and and I don't know maybe the investment banks were were too big and maybe they were too close to uh, too interconnected to uh. If J.P. Morgan and and if if Bank of America and City and Wells were stronger, they could have absorbed them. Mm-hmm. But that was a big problem, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, Bank of America, and, and get get me right here because on the spot I'm going to get these wrong. But Bank of America taking on which one did they take on? Merrill again? Lynch. Merrill Lynch, you know, and then that and that was really viewed as like not a death blow, uh, but 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 really weakening to Bank of America. And then City, mm-hmm. what did the mortgage one, right? Yeah, city. I mean, city picked up uh, Wachovia. Right. Oh, sorry, oh, no, right. they got booted. Wells Fargo picked up Wachovia, and okay. city wanted it. So actually, that was the reverse situation where it would have strengthened their balance sheet a little ah, bit. Interesting. Okay. Um. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. The banking system did its best to play this role. I mean, even J.P. Morgan had to give thirty billion of bear stars sure. to the Fed. Sure. Uh, Right. That's so, probably the best example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- they were doing their best and, and and JP Morgan, you know, was the only one really in the best position uh in 2000. Even you know, they... Bernanke Bernanke has that famous line where he says 12 of the 13 biggest banks were you know within yeah. a week of failure or something yeah. like that within days yeah, yeah, of yeah. failure. And yeah. and JP Morgan's the 13th. Right. But um so yeah, I mean and and City City was dealing with its with its aspects commercial paper vehicles it was bringing on board it's 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 sivs it was bringing back um 
Bear Stearns is buying out its hedge fund. So they're trying to play this role. Um, and, and, you know, they can do so. And part of it too is, and I talk about this, is there there are no big non-banks like there were in 2008. There, yeah. you know, Lehman and, and um, Goldman and all these banks that were non-banks back then, they didn't have a credit line. They didn't have, you know, JP Morgan was in no hurry to write a bunch of credit lines to Bear Stearns yeah. until the price was right. You know, until it was a crisis scenario. Oh, you're going to let us buy you for 10 bucks a share. Yeah. Uh, perfect. You know, yeah. uh, so that's the story where where it can start to make sense. And part of part of why this paints a, li- a bit of a picture of the world in the last year or so is be- because the price hasn't been right enough. Um, and because that's the new standard for banks when they, who are capital constrained, yeah, you need right. a bigger payoff is we're starting to get sovereign interventions before the banks have done anything. I mean, we think of lender of last resort as the fed, you know, a fiscal authority, whoa, something must really be wrong sure. um, with the banks that the banks aren't doing this. The banks aren't holding. And really what's happened is the banks are just saying, not yet. Like it's right. things need to get worse and we'll step up. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's okay to some extent and, and, you know, policymakers need to figure this out, but it, 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 so it's also a question of, of, you know, who, who do you want to have balance sheet in a crisis too? Because everyone, every company is a customer of the banking system. Not every company is a customer of the non-bank system. Right. right. So you look at like 2009, 2000, late 2008, who's making money. It's hedge funds who had balance sheet left that had hired all the mortgage people from Bear Stearns <laughs> and, you know, from Lehman who knew where all the bodies were buried and they could go out and buy this because they knew that they knew it was cheap. They, they knew it was too cheap. Um, and the banks just weren't there because they didn't, they didn't have the capital. The price was right, but they didn't have the capital. So it's, it's kind of a combination of those things where it could work a lot better if banks were in a position to, to, to play that, to sort of put a floor under financial stability, basically. Amazing. Interesting piece to, uh, to also be watching. And I'm sure there's lots uh lots to be coming here there's there's a book coming out uh i i want to say uh in 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 march about uh about big businesses response in covid i know you know the one i can't remember who i want to say oh yeah uh liz hoffman yeah 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 yeah. okay so i so i I, crash landing i think it's called that sounds right yeah so there's and and that'll be on on the business side but things uh you know, I'm sure there will be some 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 non uh, non bank finance companies that hopefully that she covers. I haven't seen anything of the book, but there's but this is a big part, uh, and I think this this piece adds an important nuance because this there you go. Like you said, the the kind of the fear mongering is something that can really happen uh, when when you throw out these big numbers and these you show the the, the change in in portion, but it uh, you can miss uh, or or de-emphasize the importance and strength of the banks uh, if if you look too closely. Yeah. And, and just, the, I guess the other point to add is, you know, and maybe this is an overly capitalistic point, but yeah. uh, especially given that regulation demands so much capital these days. And, and, you know, I describe it as the banks are are regulation constrained in their capital, not market constrained. The market yeah. would let them run a lot thinner. Um, but because they're regulation constrained, you know, you have to think more about how to economize on capital. And 
it, it, it just, you know, like for, uh, Apollo can do some sort of fancy leveraged hotel deal with sure. less capital than we would let a bank do it because a bank doesn't just doesn't know how to do it like the way Apollo does. Like, yeah. the, I mean, that's the advantage of of having specialized knowledge and the bank being one step removed and yep. protected by some non-banks capital. A commodity dealer can do a lot more oil trading with a lot less capital than Morgan Stanley can because they're they're right in the weeds of it better than Morgan Stanley could ever be. Right. Um, and so that sort of economizes on capital in finance generally. Um, and it protects the banks because banks, you know, that's just not what we, so we sometimes characterize banks as like, Oh, I'm like Steve Jobs in Silicon Valley. Who's going to support my my idea? Oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be Bank of America. No, like yeah. Bank of America has got nothing for you. Right. Like they'll take the senior most part of, of your home. You know, they'll take the senior most part of your business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll lend to Apollo's to do some sort of fancy deal. But um, yeah. and that that protects the banks. I mean, it protects the banking system. So. Um, and therefore, that's good. So they can manufacture that kind of leverage for any of us when we need it. Right. Yeah. And therefore the broader economy. Amazing. Interesting stuff. Okay. Any, any final comments on, on, on either of these two pieces that we didn't get to? I think we covered them. Amazing. All right. We'll wrap it there then. Uh, Steven, uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Caleb.